Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky show. As I speak, it is Friday, September 1st. August is gone, ladies and gentlemen, September. Time to get back to school. Wait, school already started mid-August. I don't get that. My distinguished guest, I wonder uh, if she agrees with me in this. I, the school times the August starts for school times. I think I talked about this the last time we're near. Crazy. It's too early. I'm an old guy. Yeah, start after Labor Day. Uh, and um, part of our conversation today will be about like what makes Chicago nice, what people like about Chicago. Uh, and uh, we'll get to that, what the, the substance of that conversation. But I just want to say uh, I used to have this paranoia. Back in the days of Daly, I've, I've written about this. I've said this on the mic uh, because I was so critical of Daly about uh, all kinds of things. And people would tell me, Ben, you keep that up. You're going to find yourself in Lake Michigan. The people would tell me that, like, you keep up with this writing. You're going <laughs> to the, pay the ultimate price. Now, I thought they were kidding. You know what I mean? It was like a joke. Ha ha. But it was like a, ooh, you know, a little, a little kernel there of, of just like a warning. Uh, good-natured kind of warning. But I did take it to the next level. If I praise something, I was always afraid that <laughs> the city would shut it down just because I praise it. So, like, I would never talk about the things I really liked about Chicago. I was never, if I like it, Daily goes, shut it down. Let's show that hippie guy from the reader. Uh, I think that I was paranoid. I believe I was paranoid. I don't believe I had that much power. I don't think Daily cared that much. Uh, but it was a practice I followed anyway. Uh, so I was always reluctant uh, to praise anything. That said, I just got to praise the Chicago Jazz Festival. I went last night, the first night. It was an absolutely lovely night in the city of Chicago. Uh, and uh, shout out Mayor Daly, Millennium Park, looking good. All right. Give you credit for that. I gave you a hard time when you were building it. But in the aftermath, I got to give you some love for Millennium Park. And um, oh, my goodness, Ron Carter uh, on bass played for about an hour or at least hour and a half straight without a break man is 86 years old 
just tremendous performance, very moving performance. Uh, and then the great Chico Freeman uh, opened up with Mike Alamana on guitar, George Freeman, uh, his uncle on guitar, a tribute to Von Freeman. Some of the most beautiful music I've heard in a long time. Their version of Mercy, Mercy Me by uh, Marvin Gaye was absolutely gorgeous. Great night. And um, I'm embarrassed to say this. I'm always so cynical and jaded about Chicago. But at that moment, distinguished guest, at that moment, I had a profound love for uh, this city that I have adopted as my own, even though I'm not from here. So anyway, shout out to the folks who put the jazz festival together. And I urge everybody, when you uh, hear this show, there's still Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Great lineup on Sunday. So uh, go check out the Jazz Festival. All right, without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce herself. Uh, distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Romana Hussein. I'm a columnist and a member of the editorial board at the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, uh, and a dear friend of the show and a regular uh, every other Friday. Uh, we had a toe-to-toe argument, Romana Hussein and I, before we did the show. We did the show before we did the show. Uh, and it had to do with the Chicago Teachers Union and Dr. Awadi. Uh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll tease people. That'll be a tease. Ramon and I don't always agree. I know that's hard to believe. We don't always agree. Uh, this is the one instance, I think, where we really disagreed. Um, but probably not that much. I want to start with the um, something that's borderline frivolous. Uh, but gets to what I was talking about at the start of the show. What makes Chicago great? Uh, and we'll get into uh, Ramaswamy. Everybody wants to hear uh, Ramana on that. And I know she's got a lot to say about that. Uh, but I got to let's start local. So I'll start out with just some background. For the last, I don't know, year or so, there's been a congregation of people meeting every Friday morning at Montrose Harbor on the north side of Chicago, and they jump into the lake. Uh, and as time has gone on, that number has gone up and up from like, I don't know, a few dozen to now over 2,000. And uh, I discovered it when my millennial kids came to visit and they got the word and they went and they came back and told me about it. Uh, and they said they would never go there again. We'll get into that. Uh, and I, Ramon and I had a conversation, a funny one, I thought, on the mic about it about three weeks ago. And since then, Ramana, it became a news item. <laughs> it was like a conversation I had with my kids, a conversation I had with you and them. Like we were laughing when we were talking about this thing. Uh, the Sun-Times did a story about a week after we had our conversation with the pictures of all the, the people lined up along the lakefront. And uh, soon there was like a showdown between the organizers and the city of Chicago. Uh, and the city of Chicago said, stop, don't go back there. It's too dangerous. You don't have a permit. You need a permit. Uh, and uh, then there was a dispute over, did they apply for a permit? Did they follow rules? Uh, did, the, did the city or the park district actually, not the city, drop the ball on the permitting process? It's like a... One side said this, the other side said that, classic story. Uh, and, um, and now everybody's weighing in, 
Ramana and I were way ahead of the curve. Now everybody's weighing in. Neil Steinberg wrote about it. Eric Zorn wrote about it. Everybody has something to say about this. Chicago Tribune editorial board weighed in on it. Uh, so, Ramana, uh, your views about the Friday morning swim club at Montrose. Take it away. Well, I have to tell you that you're the first one who told me about it. I didn't even know it existed. And apparently this swim club had existed since 2021. Um, and so we, you know, we actually did a couple stories since we talked, Ben. And uh, there's been discussion about, um, you know, the race of the majority of the people who have been uh, jumping into the pool are, I would say, white appearing or <laughs> at least they pass as white. I don't know. Um, and so, you know, I, I've actually on social media, like we, we did a couple of stories on the swim club and the controversy around it. And um, I know that there's some um, black staffers at our paper who were, you know, on the side saying like, could you imagine if this was a group of black kids who've been doing this since 2021, it would have been stopped right at, since the beginning because they would see a bunch of black kids on the beach and, it never would have happened. And so, um, you know, I have heard commentary from readers and from some staff members or people of color pointing out that like everybody's, you know, the coverage has been like, oh, look at all these people having fun. And they wondered if the same tone would have been applied if it was just a bunch of people who weren't the same group, you know, other people of color, black people in particular, um, just kind of gathering. Like would these same kind of questions or like, you know, I guess the, the I guess all, all these reports were being like treating this incident like, or at least this event as was like, oh, this is just a bunch of people having fun. And I'm not saying that they weren't having fun. Um, I think at the end of the day, I, I think it is a fun event, but, you know, I do the, think there are questions about safety. I get that. I mean, maybe the city is pushing back too hard, but they should, you know, if they have like lifeguards and things like that, like, Maybe they should reconsider this, but I don't know. I, I think most of the pushback or most of the critiques on our stories or at least the coverage by other people has been like this whole like lighthearted look at this, you know, so-called, you know, it's an, it's a, I guess, unsanctioned uh, event where there's no sort of safety protocol and uh, how it is written about and whether this would even be able to happen if it was another group of people instead of white professionals as how they've been described. Um, we are, ta uh, we know Neil Steinberg talked about it today. And one of the things that he pointed out that these were uh, professionals as if, <laughs> I mean, that, you know, I respect Neil, but um, you know, what if it was a bunch of black professionals? I don't, I don't know. What if it was a bunch of Middle Eastern professionals jumping in the water, then people would have been like, oh, we know what they're trying to do. They're trying to like get ready for some like terrorist attack on Lake Michigan. They're planning some. I'm just saying that there are there are things that white people do that break the law and they pretty much get a slap on the wrist. I mean, look at you. You've written about marijuana. Um uh, the way marijuana has been enforced, marijuana smoke, you know, smoking before it was legalized. I mean, come on, when it was white people, and I hear black people say this, when white people smoke pot, it's like, oh, look at all these harmless hippies just smoking pot. They're so fun. I mean, it's like the way people treat Grateful Dead, deadheads. I'm like, oh, look, there's just a bunch of, you know, people having fun. Now, if a, a bunch of black people 
get around and smoke marijuana. They're like, oh, look at these like, you know, criminals just kind of say, hanging out and like doing like just kind of just loitering, you know? And so there is, there is, there is definitely a double standard. And I think that was was, what was frustrating to a a lot of people, like looking at some of these stories. And again, like jumping into a lake, I mean, I'm a late sleeper. I'm not going to get up at 5am so I can jump into a lake at 7am. It's just not something I'm going to do. But if people like doing it, I mean, I get it. Different people like doing different things. I don't really have a desire to do that. <laughs> and, uh, but you know, if this is something people like to do, I think if, as long as there's some safety procedures in place, I have no problem with it. I'm just saying that it's not something that I would do. And I think some of the critique that has been out there about the coverage and, and the questions people have raised, whether the same tone would have been taken if it was a group of other people, like other people of color, black people, like I said, in particular, would the tone be the same? And and people are, have been pointing out this never would have been taking place for so long. So if this group started in 2021, if I'm correct, I, I could be wrong. I thought I read some reports that this is something that people were kind of doing post-pandemic t- as, a, a, as a get-together. So they've been doing this for two years without anybody saying anything. Now, if and isn't there like a thousands of people who do this or like a couple hundred? Like, could you imagine if there was like 20 black kids doing this on on a beach on the north side, there would be there would have been cop calls like within by the first day. So so I mean they're just questions to you know and like if 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 the city even didn't know about it or were like were they ignoring it until we wrote about it? You know what I mean? It's something that you know oh well let us let this happen. And once everybody started writing about it, then they're like oh maybe we should say something because there's no way you couldn't have known. You see like two thousand white people jumping into a lake. I mean, <laughs> it's like, yo, okay, nothing's happening here, nothing to see here. And I think that's what it is. Like when white people break the law and, and like, I, this isn't the crime of the century, I, I will admit, but I'm just saying when white people break the law, things like that, um, it's like, everybody just looks the other way. And then, you know, and, and I'm not saying that, you know, there's obviously things that are done that are more serious crimes. I'm not saying that I'm talking about like, even just like, Times like this, like, you know, even driving while black, I'm editing a column, right, uh, an op-ed right now about driving while black, like black people can't even drive without being stopped. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's another, it's another example of white privilege. I know some people might say that I'm very, I'm taking, getting too sensitive about it, but it's just one of those things that people of color notice. And they notice that there's double standards when certain people do something. And again, this is, something that's more of a safety concern rather than like, oh, wow, you're breaking the law. It's kind of like jaywalking, I guess, but a little more serious because it's involving the water. But it is kind of like, let's turn the other way. It's just a bunch of kids having fun. And that's not the same attitude that happens when it's a bunch of black kids hanging out. It's kind of like Lollapalooza. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, kids, keep doing all the drugs you want to. We have all these like health officials in place in case you OD, but Hey, it's just a bunch of kids having fun. And that would not be the same attitude if it was a, mostly a black crowd hanging out at grand park. That's, that's just my two cents. Uh, well, and, uh, that was a great riff. Uh, I, the first time I told you about this and the first time we talked about it on the mic, uh, 
we, no, before we talked about it on a mic, uh, we had the great conversation about whether <laughs> you said, and I'm paraphrasing. I go, no, it began like this. Romani won't believe this. There's like 2,000 people jumping into the lake every Friday morning uh, on the north side. And you go, oh, they must be white because nobody else would do so. <laughs> I go, and I go, what do you mean they must be white? Not white people do stupid things too. Uh, and then I sent out my reporters to go uh, find out, or my reporters came back. Uh, in other words, my daughter and her friends. And they go, Dad, Romana was right. They were all white, or mostly white. <laughs> so I had to yeah, openly exactly. concede that on the mic. Uh, <laughs> well, it, it's it's just something. I mean, it, it, you know, there's, um, you know, my husband accuses me of liking white white things. He says that my musical taste is very white. But I'm like, at least I'm not a white person. That's my that's my comeback. But I mean, there's some things I was trying to tell. <laughs> I was trying to tell him that there's some things when I was telling him about this. I told him about this whole discussion we had about um you know this is a very white thing and he's like I wouldn't do that I'm like I'm not saying that you would I'm just saying that there's some things that are just very very some some activities are just very white you know what I mean and I I, I talked to you a little I, I don't know if I talked to you about my camping experience camping is a very white thing but I went I went glamping and <laughs> I told Mick that was different than camping and then we went to we went to some place in Michigan and we knew it wasn't a real serious camping place because as soon as we got there, we see like 20 young Indian women having a bachelorette party there. We're like, okay, this is not camping because our people would not be <laughs> doing this. It was a very, it was a very like, um, you know, it was a camping ground with uh, a tent that had a bathroom inside and uh, electricity and plugs. Wait, and so what does glamping mean? Mick glamping told me means, this. Glamping yeah. means glamorous camp. It's kind of like I glamour see. and camping mixed together. Got it, got so it. it's not like a real, it's not like a real camping experience. And when, and then Mick um, chastised me a little bit before I went um, camping because he said, you told me that you'd never go camping. And I go, well, because anybody, anybody who's an Indian immigrant, there are some people who have been who like camping. I don't want to say that there are Indians who like camping. I'm not one of them. I've been to India where I lived like in a camping situation. So I'm like, why would I pay to do this for fun? You know what I mean? Like my dad, my dad was from a rural village. So we'd go stay at my relative's house. No electricity. We'd literally use the lantern to get places because, of, you know, we'd get blackouts there was, uh, you know, there's no, there's, like I said, there's no electricity. So you're, you're drinking lukewarm water. And I'm like, I already got this experience. I'm not going to pay for this experience. It's like, I already do it hardcore in India. And it's like, and then I go, it's one thing if you're like, I went, I've been um, in a tent in Tanzania and, but that was for a safari. And I'm like, okay, I'm just like in Michigan. Like I'm not in like, you know, some like exotic locale. Anyway, it was just for fun. And so there are just some things, as I was saying, there are just some things that there are activities that certain people like, like Indian people probably like certain things that, you know, other people don't like. But now that it's cool to be Indian, everybody acts like they like all, all, all our Indian things, you know? So I'm just saying, so when, as soon as you told me about all these people jumping into a lake, I'm like, who would do that but white people? So that, that, was, that was my that was my gut instinct. Yeah, and uh, your instinct was correct. Uh, and so it's thousands of people. Now, the uh, argument raised by Neil Steinberg in today's, uh, his column today, and the point of view expressed uh, in many other venues that I've seen, uh, conversations I've had, 
is that this is something that makes Chicago fun. And um, Lord knows we need more fun in Chicago. And so the city should be doing everything it can uh, to make sure that the people who gather at the lakefront continue to have fun. Because if they're having fun, they're going to stay in Chicago. If they're going to stay in Chicago, it's good for Chicago. I've heard this argument applied to all kinds of debates and discussions for many years, Romana. Uh, I remember I remember sitting at a city council meeting uh, with Mick years ago, and I forget what the issue was, but it had to do with clubs in Chicago and a license. I think it was a fight over licensing and how much these clubs would pay, pay uh, for a music license. And there was a, a young hipster testifying. And I remember sitting next to Mick. We just looked at each other. We were laughing. This guy was outraged that that the city was thinking of him. But this is during the days of Daly. So you can't even blame it on Brandon Johnson. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and this kid was saying, it's people like us that are giving this city a future. It's people like us that are saving Chicago from being like Detroit. It's people like us that are fortifying this city. This is what brings us to this city. If you, I forget what the issue was, but let's say if you impose this uh, license fee, it'll destroy these clubs, we will leave Chicago. So I just want to let you know that. It was like a warning this guy was giving. Some old hipster, man. <laughs> Showed up. Showed up at City Hall. He was out, outraged. Mick and I were just laughing, you know, uh, because it was like a self-reverence there, you know, in a sense of importance. And uh, and it, I, when I re- followed the story about the people jumping in the lake in Montrose, I, it was like a flashback to that hi- hipster. At <laughs> people like us are saving this city. And uh, you better allow us to jump in the lake, Mayor Johnson, or we'll leave Chicago. <laughs> or we'll vote for Paul Vallis, harumph, uh, the MAGA guy. I, I don't know. I mean, you know, <laughs> the argument can be made to let's, let's keep this so it can be a fun activity. And honestly, I, I have no objections to that. But then... Let's invest, you know, a lot of people will say, you know, one of the things that have come up and when I talk to different activists and different groups, youth groups in particular, about, um, you know, the, you know, the violence, some of the violence that we're seeing and some of the gatherings, that, you know, people are all afraid about in downtown is that there aren't that many programs for youth in the south and west side. So let's invest in that. So so it can be fun for kids in Chicago too, right? I mean, at the end of the day, we want um, a vibrant community. We want vibrant communities in all parts of the city, don't we? And uh, that's one of the arguments that a lot of people make is like, we just invest in certain parts of the city and in certain communities. And a lot of people who are leaving Chicago are black, black residents, right? So let's try to keep it Chicago fun for, you know, the kids and the future um, generations on the South and West side. So yeah, I have, like, again, I have no problem with people jumping in the lake. And if this is something that's fun for a group of people, that's totally cool. But yeah, and but there should also be this push 
for, um, you know, investment in, you know, youth fun. Like, let's ask the kids what they like on the, you know, west and south sides. I'm, I'm sure there's like a lot of different things that people are into there. So, yeah, let's if we're going to invest in this Montrose Beach, you know, lake. What is it called again? I forgot. There's like a name, but whatever it is. Um it's it's fine, but like you know, everybody's acting like, oh my god, we're gonna take this away and Chicago's gonna fall apart. And it's it's like it's a it's a fun again, it's a fun thing, but it's not the thing that's keeping Chicago alive. I mean, people come to Chicago for various different reasons, and that's not because people jump in the lake. I mean, listen, we Chicago has a rich cultural history, and a lot of that rich cultural history. A lot of it is based in South and West side cultures. Like you look at like parts of Chicago and you hear about all these different musicians who came from there and then their homes are still there. I mean, there's so many interesting things in the city. It's just that we decide to showcase certain parts and it's, it's just a larger conversation, but I don't think that if, you know, I, I, I'm not, you know, anybody who's a big fan of jumping into the lake, that's cool, but I'm not about getting rid of it. I'm just saying, yeah, let's, okay, we'll keep this. And, and I do want people to be safe. I think that's, for me, that's a major concern. Like I was talking to you, Ben, earlier. Like if somebody gets a leg cramp and isn't a great swimmer, um, you know, you want to make sure that they're okay. And when you have that many people jumping into the lake, I don't know how deep it is, the the area where they, they jump in. But, you know, someone can have like a asthma attack or something like that. So I, I understand the safety concerns. I totally do. And I, and I also understand like people want to get together and have fun. I understand that, but the safety concern makes sense. If the city, you know, found a way to make sure that, you know, these people can still have fun. I have no problems with it, but I also think that the energy can also be, and the energy and the money and all this outrage can also be spent on, can also be, I guess, just yeah, I guess can also be spent on other parts of the city. I think that, you know, we're always kind of focusing on these certain things and we kind of get obsessed with them. And there's nothing wrong with it, again, but I just do think that we should kind of not stray from our focus and things that are important in the city and try to try to keep all parts of the city vibrant and uh, places for young people to gather. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, uh, we'll move on from this topic. We've probably spent too much time on it anyway, though I, I get a delight out of it because it does say so much about... Uh, our city, the different divisions in our city and the different camps in our city. But uh, this is the old boomer speaking. When I heard about it, see, I saw a, a smaller rendition of it. Uh, and I actually wrote a column about it once again uh, on a Sunday. I couldn't believe how many people were in the lake. And it wasn't thousands. It was like dozens. And they were in uh, floats. And it was in this part of Montrose. Montrose. Uh, so it's not near a beach. It's not near a life. Uh, lifeguard there's uh little signs on the on the walkway that say don't dive in don't go in people are all in they there's a guy selling floats literally selling a float so you can go in i mean it's such a i'm like i'm my wife and i were just laughing we're like wow this is just an open violation of every of every law but it looks like they're having fun so god bless them uh and um the the friday club there's so many people trying to get there's so few ladders so, ladies and gentlemen, you got to understand, there's like a three-foot fall between the, the walkway and the, the lake. And I know I sound like an old boomer, and all you Gen Xers are like, oh, Ben, you're old. Uh, but 
I don't know, man. There's too many people in the water. I love swimming, but I'm not doing this. There's too many people in the water and too few ladders. And I just knew disaster will strike. I'm like, we've averted it. So I'm like, yeah, it's not hurt, killing me that like the number is falling on people who have, uh, I think they, I saw the look like there's a couple hundred maybe today. It's a little more manageable than a couple thousand. Chicago, um, this is a dynamic city in many ways. People want to have a good a reason to stay here. Me, I'm old boomer. The jazz, I talk about uh, the, the jazz fest, Ramana, which is mostly old people. Let's just be honest. A couple of millennia, a few millennial hipsters sitting next to me. God bless them. They like jazz. But most of the crowd, I don't know if you've ever been to the jazz fest, are boomers. And uh, beyond boomers, so which says a lot sad about jazz in our country and culture. Anyway, all right, let's move on. Uh, and um, I guess we'll talk uh, our Wadi. Uh, speaking of debates in the city of Chicago uh, that have been going on. And uh, so let me just, Dr. Wadi, the health commissioner, was fired three months into uh, uh, Brandon Johnson's term he, as mayor of the city of Chicago. He promised that he was going to fire her, in my humble opinion. He should have kept that promise on day one uh, as a lefty. I know that the people who supported Mayor Brandon Johnson, by and large, did not like the way Dr. Awadi ran the health department. They thought that she was essentially uh, a loyal lieutenant to Lori Lightfoot and that her first obligation was pleasing the mayor, which is the way it goes in the city of Chicago. If you, you know, it's generally how it happens. The mayor puts you in your position. You do what the mayor wants. Um, he said he was going to fire. I thought he should, should have fired her right away. Uh, we had a, a conversation about this, uh, last week with, uh, Carlos. I had a conversation with Carlos Mears Rosa, alderman of the 35th ward mayor, uh, Brandon Johnson's floor leader. Uh, and, uh, he was strong. Uh, uh, Carlos was in his um, denunciation of Arwadi's reign. And I got uh, an email or two from listeners who objected to our, our rhetoric and our language. I asked one of our listeners if I could read the email. She has not got back to me with permission, so I'm not going to. But essentially, she said, well, we were unfair to Dr. Arwadi. And that Dr. Arwadi did a far greater job for the city of Chicago uh, then you would know from listening to Carlos and myself. Fair enough. I'm not going to agree with all my listeners on everything, and they're not going to agree with me. Uh, but I do believe, I feel a sense of isolation here, Romana, uh, in that I feel the prevailing attitude uh, in the city of Chicago is condemnation of Branham Johnson for having fired her and the way he fired her. Uh, and so. I know you sort of are on that side of, of things. So why don't you take a moment uh, to speak your mind about Dr. Awadi being fired and how Brandon Johnson did it. Take it away, Romana. Yeah. Um, so Dr. Awadi, um, a lot of people would say that, um, you know, she was she was helpful during the pandemic. I think you can argue with that. Um, the Chicago Teachers Union had issues with Dr. Awadi when she had asked them to go back into the classroom in person, they said that there was um, 
not adequate protocols in place. Um, you had told me that there were not masks given at the schools. Um, and I understand some of the concern because a lot of the kids in um, these, some a lot of Chicago public school students weren't even vaccinated. So I understand that concern. And there's some elderly teachers, there's some teachers who are um, have health issues. So I understood some of those concerns, but um, you know, there could be an argument made that, you know, at that point, things are opening up and uh, it was safer for people to go out. Um, I guess we could argue, Ben and I, Ben and I can argue about this over and over again. So, I mean, Brandon Johnson, who um, is a former Chicago Teachers Union organizer, had said during his campaign that one of one of the things he promised was to get um, to fire Dr. Awadi. So, Personally, like I knew that was going to happen, right? This is a promise he made before he was going to, you know, before he was starting to become, you know, before he got elected mayor, I should say. And um, of course, all politicians don't keep all the promises they <laughs> they they say they're going to keep. But um, but um, you know, this was something that I think people saw coming. I mostly had issues with the way the firing was done. It was done on a, I think, I believe on a five o'clock um, weekday. Was it a Friday afternoon? I'm not sure, but I do have, um, I do have a friend that works for um, doctor who worked for Dr. Awadi. Um, and he had put on his Facebook post that it was done so suddenly. And the staff had like no time to say goodbye to her. And um, I just think the manner in the, the way it was done, I, I think it could have been handled a lot better. That's just my personal opinion. I think that, um, yeah, if you're going to fire someone, sure, but it, there's there's ways to do it. And I know you may disagree, but I just think that there's there's a way to do it. And, and that's what my main issue was. And I, I just hope that... Um, you know, and then there was some sort of like, wasn't somebody that they had uh, considered for the job, like, wasn't, didn't that person pad their resume or not? I don't know. I remember reading something really quick on Twitter about it. There was some sort of exchange with um, uh, some sort of debate that was going on after Dr. Awadi was fired. So for me, it was like, okay, this was going to happen, but there was a way that it could happen. And Brandon Johnson, like, you know, I know we talked about like, this is the way maybe Rom would do it, but that's the whole thing. We want a mayor that's not like Rom. And this includes the smaller things too. I, I, I think, I think there are some things as a mayor, I think there's certain ways that you can handle a firing. I think it needs to be done in a, in a, in a more, I guess, I don't know. I don't want to say humane, but just, just kind of give, kind of give people time to process it and let people say goodbye instead of having it done so quickly. And it, and I don't think it was a face-to-face. Um, I think it was one of Brandon Johnson's aides who had notified Dr. Awadi about the firing. And I, I think it would have been classier if Brandon Johnson actually went up to her and did it himself. I don't think, I don't think that would have been that hard or difficult to do. That's, and, and I know you're going to, Ben, you're going to say that a lot of people took it way out of hand, but, um, that's just my, that's what I think. That's how I think it should have been handled. Well, I do. I, uh, I do believe that people took it way out of hand. Uh, I, I, again, I felt very alienated as a lefty, um, because the lefty view of how health is run in the city of Chicago is that, uh, and this goes back before 
Lori Lightfoot, obviously. It goes back, it really starts with Mayor Daley, but it really kicked in with Rahm when he closed the mental health clinics. Um, there's just a, a callous indifference to the inequities that exist in this city in regards to health care. Uh, and I, I feel as though those that indifference existed very much during their Lori Lightfoot uh, years and that the Brandon Johnson movement was uh, rooted in, in a determination to change that. Uh, whether he can pull that off, whether he has the money to do it, whether he has the political uh, ability to do it, I, I don't know. We're going to be watching this. Uh, but to me, Arwadi was a symbol of the uh, leftist upset at the way uh, healthcare is run in the city of Chicago. And uh, I will agree with you on this. I, I, when you get into the separate issue of like the classy way to fire somebody, someone who's been fired about three times in my life, it's a really difficult, I don't know if you've ever been fired, Romana, but getting fired, uh, no matter how you look at it, it's going to sting at the very least. And, and uh, I, I, uh, <laughs> so I look how, how she was fired and I'm like, you know, Brandon, you could have done better, Mayor Johnson. You really should. I think you should have called her in. I agree with you. You should have done it earlier. I mean, you said you were going to do it. Why keep it going for three months? I don't know. Uh, this is one of the questions I'm going to ask him when we get to uh, Tuesday's show. I hope I get the chance to ask him this. Like, why did you fire her earlier? Uh, I don't get that. You know, uh, you, the people who voted for you wanted her you to fire her so and why not just tell her you know i now i've there's a like the counterpoint which uh, i've heard from many people is that uh this is the carlos point that awadi put herself in this position where she upset the mayor by publicly fighting to keep her job but i don't know I, i'm with you I, yeah, it's never going to be uh, an easy way to get fired. I could tell you that right now from personal experience, but there are classier ways of doing it. You're absolutely correct. Uh, it's, did he handle it worse than the radio station handled it when I got fired? Hmm, I got to think about that, Ramona. I'll get back to you on that one, okay? Uh, have you ever been fired, by the way, anytime, anywhere, any place? No. Wow. <laughs> no, but I mean, there's always there's always a first time. I mean, we had layoffs like at the Sun Times a couple of years ago, and like every week, you would see someone get tapped on the shoulder, and I'd be like, "Oh my god, I'm next!" Like everybody feels like they have a target on their back, and I still feel like I have a target on my back. I mean, in this industry, you never know what can happen, right? But I did the fir the first company, the first news organization I worked for, City News Bureau. Um, we folded while I was working there. And I remember <laughs> I look back and I'm like, oh, my God, I was like a youngster and I was so panicked. I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm like, you know, um, but we got so the Sun-Times actually pulled out. We used to be owned by the Sun-Times and the Tribune. The City News Bureau is this old wire service. And a lot of people um, in the news business today I worked with, We I had my first job with them. And uh, the Sun-Times pulled out. I was so mad at the Sun-Times for such a long time. They, they, they didn't think it was viable anymore. We were kind of used as a tip sheet. And I, I just I just remember that sinking feeling. So, yeah, I mean, losing a job. And this so I lost a job because our company folded. But then, like, two weeks later, the Tribune are like, or is, was like, we're going to take this on by ourselves. So I was employed. 
soon after. But I remember that sinking feeling for that short period. You know, it's it's a terrible feeling. And um, like, again, I, I feel like nobody in this industry is ex- um, everybody's expendable, right? At the end of the day, like there's so many people that I respected and I still respect that lost their jobs during these layoffs. They were like people I admired, read when I was much younger. And I always think like if they can get laid off, who am I, right? So so I think it's something that can happen to anybody. I haven't gotten fired yet, but you never know, uh, right? I got to tell you, and, and, and we're very odd schizophrenic in our attitudes about firings uh, in, in the sports world, well, in the political world as well, but in the sports world on a daily basis, there's somebody very loudly and very publicly urging uh, the firing of a manager or a general manager. I mean, any, any day in the newspaper, you, you virtually read a column, the White Sox should have fired this guy months ago. Fire the general manager. Fire the manager. Fire. <laughs> Trade this guy. A guy has a bad game. Trade him. Drop him. Why'd you sign him? I mean, it's and then when we're fired, you, you get what I'm saying? It's like a devastating Yeah, the sports thing. world is completely different than, than I think. But, you know, no, it's true. It's kind of like just the way we treat athletes. I'm not saying that, you know, they have it hard, they get paid very well, but the way they get treated when they're like on the field and people yelling at them. And I've never really yelled at people or booed anybody for like, unless it was like the opposing team and they did something wrong. But, you know, I don't, I never understood like swearing at players and like yelling at them for like not, you know, swinging that when they shouldn't have. So I never understood that, but I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm one of those sports fans who doesn't get that. I I get passionate about certain things, but I'm not going to swear at the players and like start going crazy because things aren't going my way. So, well, there's a level of scapegoating that goes on uh, in sports. And so uh, far more uh, blame is like a quarterback's put or or a coach. uh, And to say, everybody just, joins the bandwagon and it's hard not to i find myself being tugged in that direction from time to time especially when it comes to bears quarterbacks uh but i I just i don't know i had a laugh man on one level the amount of anguish expressed uh over dr awadi and how she was treated by brandon johnson and and then every day and then you fire this guy get rid of him right we are a very weird society all right uh let us get to uh, 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 Mr. Ramaswamy. And uh, we have been talking about this gentleman for a while. Uh, Ramana uh, wrote at least two columns about him. No, one. 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 It was one? in May. Okay. May, it was in all right. May. I guess I just am mixing up all the conversations we've had. <laughs> we've, My- we've, had we've been talking about this guy forever. Uh, and um, so he is now positioned. From the from like this, uh, this this individual that very few, very few people knew about, uh, he has now emerged as the definitely the number three uh, in the polls for the Republican nomination, uh, and catching up with Ron DeSantis, which I never would have envisioned that. DeSantis keeps stumbling, uh, and the more DeSantis stumbles, the more uh, Ramaswamy's uh, polls rise. I watched last week's debate, uh, Republican debate. We talked about it on the show. 
I found him utterly odious, and yet his popularity among Republicans rose. Uh, And he alluded in that debate to his appearance in Chicago. That's what uh, Romana wrote about. That was the column she wrote, and we talked about it extensively on this show at least twice. And he bragged about going to Chicago um, as though he goes to Chicago all the time. Of all the twisted things he put out during that debate that are not true, I guess you could say this is the least significant. But in that, in what he said, there were so many untruths uh, embedded in what he said uh, that it just, it, it, <laughs> I'm just startled that, uh, that he has figured out the, the tone the attacks, going after black people, going after black holidays, openly appealing uh, to white grievances against black people. He has figured out that's his ticket to success. And Romana, it has worked. Your general thoughts. Yeah, I, I, I knew it would work. Why do you think I wrote about it in him in May? I have to tell you, Ben. So um I had gotten an email, um, somebody from the editorial board had forwarded the fact that Vivek Ramaswamy was going to be coming to Chicago. He wanted to come to Chicago after um, some Southside residents had objected to a migrant shelter. And this is something that is a discussion that has been going on for a while. I'm sure you checked out this week's um, Sun-Times story on how some residents in Kenwood were opposing, you know, the the migrants coming into um, like, you know, being sheltered over there. And so, um, you know, we had made some comment back and forth about it. And then I was like, I God, this guy is going to totally get traction because he's coming in and uh, kind of trying to take advantage of the situation where black communities are airing out very real grievances, but at the expense of migrants. Right. And so, I was like, as an Indian person, I'm like, oh, my God, this is a brown guy wants to take advantage of the situation. And I thought it was very curious. So I thought I could write a column on this. And and I was like, there's I go, let me send an email to see if they would be willing to talk to me a day before. And I have to tell you, Ben, I actually talked to him while I was getting my hair cut at your wife's salon. He called me back. When I right after I got my haircut, so I was talking to her while um, talking to him while your wife was Pam was cutting my younger sister's hair and and um, they could tell that it was getting a little testy in between because I asked him what it felt like being an Indian man, um, basically playing the part of airing out you know trying to play the part of airing out white grievances that make no sense and anyway but. But the thing is, I remember asking our desk, I'm like, are you guys going to send a photographer here or are you guys sending a political reporter here? And the response I got was no, because this guy has no chance. And I was thinking, okay, this, nobody's covering it. I, this is, I'm going to do a column on this because I know the way things are as a South Asian person. If you are a South Asian person or any other person of color and you say the things that white Republicans want to hear, you your star will rise. It will rise really high. Um, after 9-11, do you remember how quickly Dinesh D'Souza became a face that you'd see everywhere? 
there was also um, Muslims that um, started saying things about our community, things about how we should be profiled that were also propped up after 9-11. And these were the people that we're seeing in our community. These are the faces that we're seeing that were propped up by the left and the right, I have to say, that they were being propped up and they were the ones given airtime. And it really damaged a lot in our communities because these were the voices. So people look at it and go, well, this is a brown person saying this. So it gives more legitimacy to it. So if you have a brown man saying that he wants to out Trump Trump and say things that a lot of white Republicans want to hear, they're like, wow, this guy's smart. He's saying what we want to hear. And he's a brown man. And he's not a Christian. You know, Vivek Ramaswamy is an avowed, um, he's he's um, a Hindu. And so he's saying everything that they want to hear. And they're like, look, this guy's it. He's talking about being immigrant. He's a child of immigrant and immigrants and he's worked hard. So it's like, he's going to say what we want him to say. Right. So I knew that, you know, once if he has, he has so much money. So I knew that if he got a chance to get on that stage there, we're going to hear more about him and we are hearing more about him. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a political pundit like you, Ben, but I just know with my community what type of people get propped up and what type of people get put ahead in this country. When And especially when they say the things, you know, that certain groups, the majority of this country, not I want to say every person, but a lot of people want to hear. So I'm not shocked at all. And now it's like everybody's like, now people send me like things about Vivek Ramaswamy. I mean, I, you, I know you sent me the thing about Eminem asking him to stop singing after he was rapping Eminem, an Eminem song at the Iowa State Fair, which, by the way, makes me laugh. It's like, oh, there's an Indian person rapping at the Iowa State Fair to all these white people. You know, it's just like, it's like, it's, it's so insane. Um, but you know, now he's like a name that everybody knows about, right? And so um, I, I just think that it's a lot of Indian people are just like, oh, my God. I actually been I, while I was on the show with you when we started, my sister just sent me um, a bit from this comedian who you sent me stuff. His name is Zane Sharif. And he talks about Vivek Ramaswamy and how he's rooting for him because he's Indian. He's like, maybe I don't agree with his politics, but it's kind of funny. You have to look at it as soon as uh, we get off the air. But um, it's, it's, it's just, it's just insane, but I'm not shocked at the level of his star power rising every day. I don't know how far he's going to get, but I think a lot of people never, you know, I, I told you my newsroom was just like, well, I'm sure if he came right now and tomorrow, we'd send people out to cover him. But in May, there was, there was, there was no interest in covering him whatsoever. And I asked our, one of our photographers to come there because I was doing, I said, I want to do a a column on him. So I think it'd be good if we had a photographer there and uh, you know, sure enough, she came, but we didn't have any political reporters at this thing because I was told that nobody thought that he'd have a chance. So like why cover, why waste our time on that, on this? That's what I was told. So I'm just saying that I, I, I'm not saying that (laughs) I was like looking at the magic lamp or the, you know, you know, looked into the future. I just knew that th- this guy is going to be saying, you know, the stuff that he was saying about um, the migrants and the stuff that he was saying at this community hearing, it, I knew that he was going to gain traction just, just because it's like you listen to him, he, you know, and he's a young man, he's smart. 
And, you know, he started all these companies and it's just like he has the money to do it. And so I don't know, we're going to be hearing more from him before it's over. What my boss, Lorraine Forte, says that now whenever she sees him, he reminds her, um, he reminds her of me. And I'm like, oh, great. Um, And now, you know, I told you ever since I wrote that column, people have been sending me like things about Vivek, like, oh, look, your friend. And, you know, so I'm like, no, it's not my friend. But, you know, they're they're joking. They clearly know where I'm coming from. But I'm not shocked at all. I'm not shocked at all that he's risen to this power. Because, again, I, I know the types of people that get the coverage. I know the types of people who get exalted in this country that look like me. And, you know, he's technically he's from a slightly different community because he's a Hindu American. I'm a Muslim American. So. Um, my community is a little different, but he's still an Indian. I mean, this is a group I belong to. So when I see him, I'm like, oh my God, an Indian American. And he's younger than me too. It's not even like someone from my generation. He's like a younger man. Like, and it's like, God, like, I, I, I just like to know what his, I mean, his parents, I'd like to hear about what his parents have to say, but I'm thinking they're all cool with it anyway. So. Well, he's on the position. He's, if you're a parent, that's a that's an interesting question. I have no idea what his parents' politics are, but I mean, on one level, uh, they could be outraged if their politics are just to the left of him a little bit. Uh, but on the other hand, he's on stage. Uh, he's written about in every newspaper now. He's talked about. People know who he is. Uh, I didn't even feel obligated to explain who he was when I introduced the topic, you know, like the, when we first started talking about him, we, I would take a little time to explain who he was. Cause I didn't think any listener would know who he was. Uh, and, uh, so listen, I've watched a lot of these candidates flame out and, uh, he kind of reminds me of the right wing version of mayor Pete. And if you remember 2019, mayor Pete was the favorite of everybody. Uh, except for Henry Davis uh, Jr. I see you, uh, Henry, uh, in South Bend, Indiana, who came on the show a couple times and ripped him. Uh, and um, and then, of course, Mayor Pete's campaign went nowhere, and uh, now he's the head of transportation in the Biden administration. Um, but uh, so, yeah, you know, he, he could flame out as well. I, I've, what disturbs me about him, there's so much that disturbs me about him, but the particular rhetoric that he uses uh, and then the disingenuous way he like tries to backtrack or retreat from something outrageous he said is pure Trump. So he'll say something outrageous and provocative and racist uh, and intended to um, like stir the pot. And then when he's called upon, he'll deny that he said it. This is, there was a, just, I didn't, I didn't buy, I don't want to be one of the people that just endlessly sends you articles about this guy, but there was a uh, article in the New York times. They did a really good job of breaking down the untruths. I think I actually did send the article to now that I think about it. That's okay. That's totally yeah. fine. I laugh. I mean, usually every, my friends, when they send, and most of my friends who are sending it are Indians. They're like, Hey, look, look, you're your BFF. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, everybody calls her a boy, but the thing about Chicago and they talked about the untruths in Chicago and you were one of two reporters who were at that uh, that meeting that you just alluded to. Another one is a New York Times reporter. Uh, and uh, just so the way he'll say something outrageous and then deny that he said it, which is a form of gaslighting, uh, it's because it, like boldly say, I never said that's false. 
Like you saw that it was in the debate. Nikki Haley was attacking me because that's false. <laughs> no, it's not. You literally said the things she said. You said we all heard you say it, uh, but you just say it's false. It's kind of messing with people's minds. So I find him a infuriating uh, character. And the fact that uh, he's so young, he's only 38. Yeah. And then he then he ripped off Barack Obama by saying, hey, you're wondering what a skinny guy with the funny name is on stage and it's like you can't even come up with your own lines you know <laughs> and yeah and then chris christie at that moment uh, yeah that was, that was that. pretty funny yeah he yeah. called he said i'm tired of listening to this guy that sounds like chat gpt and then he called him out for um you know plagiarizing from obama which was pretty classic if you ask me i did see that clip yeah which by the way gets into the whole other thing how obama's hated by maga which I, it, Obama rose in politics because he proclaimed for the whole world to see there is no blue America, there is no red America, there's no it's just the United States of America, and now he has become. Well, I would argue that Hillary is probably still the number one most despised Democrat of MAGA. Obama could be too. I don't know. We could argue that point all day. Um, it just uh, indication of amount of how much things have evolved in a bad way in this century uh, so uh, anyway yeah he is somebody uh i i personally do not believe donald trump will select him as a vice president because donald trump does not want to be upstaged and uh this guy will upstage donald trump like yeah he's he's, he's a lot he's a lot brighter than donald trump i think um you know donald trump is smart in a different way but vivek is um I think he's he's definitely has um, his brain power and he knows what he's doing too. That's the that's the thing. Um, I I don't know. I, I I just think it's like watching him and 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 like I said, I wish I was wrong, but I knew like when he came out and just started, you know, setting that he's coming to Chicago and and doing all this stuff, and I'm like, oh my god. And, and, you know, just listening to him talk, I mean, he he was definitely playing. And I think this is what, you know, this has been going on for years. Politicians in this country have been, you know, placing a wedge between black and brown Americans, brown meaning mostly Latino Americans, since the beginning of time. And you see it's kind of like rearing its head right now again in a different form in 2023. And, um, you know, 2016, when Trump was running, um, it was kind of like the same attitude that you see Vivek you know, running. It's kind of like these are these brown people coming from other places, like hurting our country. It, Trump's like, you know, I guess Trump's campaign was focused more on the brown people coming from elsewhere. Build the wall, the Muslim ban. You know, Muslims, Muslims can be any color. But, you know, it was like this whole painting of people who the outsiders as brown people and not to say that the Trump, uh, you know, administration wasn't anti-black. It wasn't, but they were playing on this whole, like these foreigners are coming here and taking our jobs as Americans. And that's what Vivek was doing. Ramaswamy was doing at this meeting that I went to. He kept telling the people like America is for Americans, you know, and these people are coming to this country and they're taking away all the things that, you know, you guys should be having. Like, why are we giving these people like medicine? Why are we giving these people like diapers? Like, 
he was bringing those kind of things up. And, you know, obviously when you're going to be talking to a community that has been ignored and has not had resources spent in its community, you're just kind of lighting that fire. And so um, I, I, you know, uh, there's no way I'm not, I'm going to like not look into this. So I, I, that's why I decided to do a column on it. And especially just as um, an Indian American, to me, it was just offensive on a different level that it is to a lot of people because I'm like, okay, I'm Indian. Uh, I'm like, I would never like, you know, that's not my politics. And I don't want people to think that, you know, and most Indians aren't um, Republicans, but there are, there are Indians who are Republicans. So um, I think it speaks to a lot of, uh, you know, issues that like a lot of Indian people are talking about just politically. I mean, you had Nikki Haley and Vivek Ramaswamy and a lot of Indians thought it was hilarious that they put them together right next to each other. And then, like, you know, I saw a lot of people talking about, um, you know, they see on they see crime. They're like, oh, I don't watch this. You know, everybody's getting their popcorn out and kind of watching, you know, and these are mostly people who are on the left. They're just like, wow, Nikki and Vivek, you know, duking it out. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to watch. We'll see what happens. Yeah. I. Uh, uh, by the way, so before we leave, one last question. Uh, how, how did he pronounce D-E-V-O-N. Oh, Devon. So when I talked to him at Pam Salon, he I asked him if he ever came to Chicago before. And he goes, yeah, you know, he's from Ohio. I think he grew up in near Cincinnati, a suburb of Cincinnati. He's like, yeah. And, and, and this is totally believable because there used to be a point where there's a lot more Indian stores now. But when he was a kid, he goes, yeah, my parents used to come here to Devon. <laughs> like every month or something, every couple of weeks to buy Indian groceries. And I'm like, God, dude, maybe it's pronounced Devon in England, but um, it's 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 Devon in Chicago. So it just shows you how little he knows about Chicago. Yeah, um, no. I thought so. I put that in my column. I thought that was hilarious. And I actually had a Pakistani friend who is not from Chicago. She grew up elsewhere, but she's a reporter here. And she's like, he did not say Devon. And then I'm like, no, he did. And she goes, oh, his Indian card should totally be snatched because of that. <laughs> so I'm just saying that, like, I'm like, I would not lie about that. I'm not. First of all, I'm I'm I'm, I'm a pretty truthful journalist. I don't make up lies. Um, he did say that. And I'm like, oh, my God, as someone who's South Asian and from Chicago, I was born in Chicago, people. I did grow up in the suburbs, but I was born in Chicago. Um, so I call myself a Chicago native. Um, I immediately had to laugh at that. And I was like, oh, that my God, funny, I'm not even going to correct him. And he was very mad at me by the time we hung up. And he's like, you're the first reporter. Like, he, he told me that I was asking him questions that nobody ever asked him before. And that he's like, it was like I was force feeding him his vegetables. And the whole time I was thinking, he's, I'm like, you are a vegetarian after all. He is. He's a very strict vegetarian. The New York Times reporter who was there at uh, the event in May. Um, we were chatting. Actually, I should send him an email. We exchanged uh, emails and um, he was very helpful to me because he pointed out some of the people who were at this thing. Um, and he told me there were very like some really right wing names from different parts of the country. Um, he was telling me he was following Vivek Ramaswamy for like two months or a couple weeks. And he was telling me how he's a very strict vegetarian and kind of telling me about some of his habits and you know, that's part of his religion. So I'm not going to, but he was telling me that I was force feeding him vegetables. That's what he said. That's how our conversation ended. He's like, thanks for forcing me to eat my vegetables. And I'm like, Oh, I don't, I don't know what that meant, but I was like, okay. I think he was, I think he was just mad because I asked him if he had any qualms about being an Indian man trying to create a wedge between 
the black and brown communities, trying to create a bigger wedge or trying to use this opportunity to create more, you know, to get ahead. Yeah. To get ahead. And he, yeah, to he, get ahead he, of didn't, the world. he didn't like that. I asked him that yeah. because I go, what do you think about people who think that you're a sellout? I think I asked him that. So um, he wasn't very happy with me, but I, I wanted to ask him because I know a lot of people who are Indian are thinking the same thing. I know what I was asking him as an Indian uh, reporter of Indian American of Indian of, of Indian background. Yeah. And uh, he didn't like it. Oh well, too bad. He he does. It's, he has a temper that showed in the in the debate. He didn't like it when Nikki Haley went after him. He didn't like it when Chris Christie went after him. You know he uh, he you could see the anger flash. So yeah, and then you know, and then he tried to turn things around, like you know, with Eminem asking him to stop using a song. I think he like tweeted at Eminem. He goes, "Oh, he wants us to stop." Like it was some sort of, sort of harmless thing. Like oh, and he thought like it was like. Eminem was giving him street cred. Like, you know yeah, what I mean? No. And I'm just like, oh my God, don't make it into something like that was like I, a positive thing. So I, I, I give Eminem credit. Uh, Eminem. Me too. Yeah, Slim Shady. I give him credit for that. Yes. Yeah, Sl- <laughs> uh, uh, Slim Shady. All right. Very good. Uh, uh, Romana, thank you very much. Uh, another delightful conversation. And uh, we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. All right. Thanks. All right. Very good. Ramon Hussein. That's Ramon Hussein. I'm Ben Drowski. Take care, everybody.